At the lowest point in my life, I was overwhelmed by loneliness. Even when I was around friends and family, I still felt lonely and it became hopeless. I didn't know what to do and I had no idea how to deal with this loneliness. Hey there, and welcome back to another episode of Feel Your Feelings with me, Ethan Jewell. Now, I'm not a doctor, a psychiatrist, or a professional in the mental health field whatsoever. I'm just a normal guy who has felt some big feelings, has talked to a lot of people who have felt big feelings, and wants to start the conversation on mental health. However, today, I'm very lucky as I am joined by a professional, Dr. Jen Hartman, a licensed psychologist from Texas. Today, we're gonna to be diving into the topic of loneliness, digesting it, and understanding how we can deal with loneliness. So, thank you so much for being here, and as always, let's feel some feelings. Dr. Hartman, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much, Ethan. It's an honor to be here, and I'm really excited to get going on our conversation. Loneliness is something that I have extensively experienced, and I've spoken on a lot in my music. My last album was actually called Loneliness in the Presence of Company, and it explored every topic, the ins and outs of loneliness and of isolation. However, as I spent time being lonely and writing about loneliness and truly understanding it, I realized that there is more to it than a lot of people think. So Dr. Hartman, I want to start today by asking you, do you think that loneliness is an inherently negative thing or is there potential growth to be found within loneliness? Thank you for bringing up this really important topic, Ethan. Even though we have more ways to connect now with each other than ever before, in my field, the mental health field, we understand that loneliness has now reached epidemic proportions. So I think it's a very, very important topic for us to be talking about and talking about regularly. So to answer your question directly, obviously loneliness can feel horrible and it can be sometimes even dangerous, but it doesn't necessarily have to be horrible and dangerous. I do think that we can experience a lot of growth in loneliness, but sometimes we may have to work on how to let that willingness to do that work unfold. And so I don't know if you have anything from your experience that helped you figure out like how to lean into the loneliness and how to work with the loneliness rather than resist it. Definitely. I mean, there is room for growth. In my experience with loneliness, I found myself really struggling to see the positive in it because of the isolating nature of loneliness. Mm -hmm. Instead of thinking, oh, how can I grow from this? I was thinking, what's wrong with me? I was feeling lonely physically, emotionally, mentally, physically because all my friends went off to college and I was just kind of left behind and a lot of those relationships really struggled. And emotionally because I was struggling with depression. Mm -hmm. I think depression and a lot of mental illnesses really isolate you and convince you that you deserve to be alone and that you're better off alone. And unfortunately, these lies that our brain tells us encourages us to lean into the loneliness instead of trying to seek growth. Another thing I found is as I was struggling with this loneliness, I saw on social media the best of the best of other people's lives. I saw all of the highlights. I saw none of their personal struggles. And I was thinking to myself, what is wrong with me? I mean, these are supposed to be my golden years. I'm supposed to be at my absolute peak. And yet here I am struggling, feeling lonely, having a hard time connecting with anybody. Do you think that social comparison like this can play into loneliness and affect how we experience isolation? Oh, of course. 
Oh, of course, absolutely. And I believe that there's some some research out there that can support what I'm about to say, but you mentioned scrolling. And so, you know, we're just, we just kind of get get into that mode where we're scrolling and when we're really depressed or we're really anxious and we're kind of hiding away or withdrawing, whatever might be going on, we tend to engage less with social media. We're just scrolling and we're not engaging as much with posts. And so that can be a risk factor. But then the other thing that can be problematic is, I don't know about you, but I don't post my own panic attacks or crying fits, you know, or, you know, I'm snotty or, or, you know, things like that are going on. We post our best moments, right? We post our most interesting moments. We try to post really interesting moments or things that we think other people are going to be interested in. So not many of us are kind of posting day to day about depression or again, like panic attacks or things like that. And so that can unfortunately reinforce the notion that we're the only ones, like you said. Mm -hmm. I love the comparison of a highlight reel. I've used that a lot and I think it's so accurate. It's so detrimental to mental health. You stated that we don't want to post the tears and the panic attacks. And I think that's a big problem with mental health awareness right now, because mental health awareness, it's a very big subject. It's become a lot more popular, which is a great thing. Mm -hmm. But I think, unfortunately, mental health awareness tries to cover a very pretty glorified part of mental illness. And it never addresses the dark sides of it. It never addresses the panic attacks and the depressive episodes and people struggling and not being able to leave their bed for weeks at a time. And I think that can really add to that loneliness for people struggling with that. Do you think there is a solution there? Do you think there is something that can be done? Or is that kind of just the nature of the human condition? As we talked about in, in our last episode, I, I do think that there are many good things that come out of social media. I'm not sure, quite honestly, Ethan, what the answer is to this negative downside of social media and the social comparison piece and how we're getting everybody's highlight reels. I think that's an excellent way to think of it, but we're, you know, we're not really seeing the real dark aspects of people struggling with mental illness. And I think that is very, very real. And anyone who's struggled with mental illness is going to resonate with that a lot. And it's like you said, it's just not broadcast a lot out there. I don't know that I have any big solution ideas to offer. I will say just a small recommendation for any of us individually who are struggling with mental health challenges is if you're going to be on social media, try to engage. And I know this may be hard. So there's that doom scrolling piece. And I think that phrase is really apt sometimes where it just kind of reinforces or can reinforce our sense of doom and gloom about ourselves or life in general or things like that. Um, the research is kind of interesting on social media. The negative effects are not as potentially damaging if we're actually engaging and we're liking and we're commenting and we're having some conversations with other people about what we're seeing in our feeds. So again, just a small piece of advice to help soften some of those potential negative effects of social media that can worsen our sense of loneliness. Right. So in some ways, the technology that is supposed to make us more social could tend to make us draw away more and to just watch and take in information instead of actually engaging with other people. Part of me wonders if that sprouts from the isolating nature of mental illness, which 
I've definitely experienced in my time fighting depression, how isolating it can feel. And I can't speak for other mental illnesses, but I know within my own experience, one of the hardest things was how badly I wanted to isolate myself. And that became one of my hardest battles. Even to this day, I find myself trying to rekindle relationships and friendships that I lost due to my battle. What is it that makes us want to isolate ourselves whenever we are struggling with mental illness? I think the easiest answer is we feel crappy. I mean, it it feels bad. And so let's just take depression, for example. Depression is actually an illness that does not just happen in our mind. There definitely are changes in the brain, but there are changes in several other bodily systems. So it's really impacting our system as a whole. And so when we talk about feeling bad, like when we're depressed, we're really feeling bad. It's affecting us body-wide. I don't know that we know exactly yet, like kind of how some of the biochemical and systemic changes affect our cognition. But one thing that happens is it affects our sense of perspective, right? So all of a sudden, not all of a sudden, it actually can sometimes happen gradually, but our perspective gets a lot narrower. And then it also affects with our motivation. So depression in some ways is a disorder of perspective and motivation. We literally feel like we do not have the energy to do the things that we know we need to do to feel better. And in my field, we call it the catch-22 of depression, right? So like you don't have the motivation to do the things that you need to do to get healthier. And that's a really, really tricky aspect of depression in particular, but that can be true for other things like anxiety disorders and trauma as well. I feel like in some ways that lack of motivation and the lack of ability to engage in seemingly very simple activities, simple actions to care for yourself, I feel like, and in my own personal experience, I think it brings on a lot of shame. I think it brings on guilt, almost like what's wrong with me? I am doing so much worse than these other people. And I wonder if shame has any part in the isolating nature of mental illness. Oh, absolutely. Shame absolutely wants us to isolate. It wants us to stay behind, you know, thick curtains and veils and all kinds of things. And again, depression affects how we think about ourselves. So it can take a perfectly lovely, highly accomplished, intelligent individual and really get them questioning their worth as a human being on this earth. Some of that is about shame. So the difference between guilt and shame is guilt is I've done something bad and shame is I am bad, Mm. right? Like there is something bad about me. There is something inherently flawed about me. I agree with you. I think shame can be a reinforcing factor for depression and then can also contribute to withdrawal and avoidance and kind of help us along, unfortunately, in feeling lonely. The tricky thing about shame uh, it's kind of a catch-22 situation with shame as well as depression, is we have to somehow figure out how to find safe, accessible ways to be vulnerable in order to work through our shame. Because mm-hmm. the entire concept of shame is that, that it's shameful, that you don't want to share it with anybody. And mm-hmm. that's an incredibly difficult road to walk. That's a hard path to go down of being able to allow that shame to be seen. I'm obviously very biased about this, but I think that is one area where therapy can be really beneficial. And that is to help create a safe, sacred place 
where you can air out some of this stuff and it's not going to go anywhere else, right? It's just going to stay in the room. And hopefully, you know, you found someone who's a good match to work with you and can help you hold this, right? And help you maybe even engage with some of these things that you feel ashamed about in some different ways. So again, I own my bias as a mental health professional, Mm -hmm. but I think that's something that might be a little easier to find in a therapy relationship because that's what we're there to do, right? And it's maybe not as easy to find that in some of the other kinds of relationships we have in our lives. Right. Because with family and friends, other personal biases can come into the conversation and it can affect how they view you. It can affect how they view your problems. And I I very often get DMs from people where they are telling me, oh, I'm trying to reach out. I'm trying to reach out to friends. I'm trying to reach out to family but they just don't understand. Mm -hmm. They don't get it. They are trying to add their own opinions in and it is getting me down and I don't know what to do and I'm lost and I need help. And what I always say is I always respond and I say, you should try therapy. Of course, it's not fully accessible for everybody. Therapy can be expensive, but as you Mm -hmm. stated in our last episode, There are resources out there. There are apps. There is affordable online therapy. And there are different routes that we can go to create this safe space, to accept our loneliness, to accept our shame, and hopefully to be able to work through it. Yes, absolutely. I want to add another concept in here, and it's with regard to self-compassion, which we talked a lot about in our last episode. One aspect of self-compassion is common humanity. And so this is the idea that no matter what we are struggling with, in a world of 8 billion people, someone else is struggling with something very similar. In fact, probably a lot of somebody else's are struggling with something very similar. And so it's a practice. It takes a while to get to the point where you can do this, but the ability to realize when I'm suffering, I'm actually never alone in that suffering. I'm a human being. Part of being human means we're going to suffer. And so undoubtedly someone else is struggling with something similar. So even when I'm in the deepest depths of my depression, or even when I'm feeling alone, I'm not alone in those feelings. For me, I find that really compelling and really powerful. Even when I'm feeling lonely, I'm not alone in that feeling. There are other people struggling with something very, very similar. Absolutely. God, I say that all the time. I'm pretty sure I've said almost that exact same thing before. (laughs) That is great. And that sounds like a great place to wrap up this topic. Dr. Jen, thank you so much for joining me and bringing a professional perspective to this podcast today. Thank you so much for the invitation. It's been an honor and I've really enjoyed my time with you, Ethan. To everybody listening, please remember, you are not alone in what you are battling, no matter what your brain tells you. You are not alone in your mental health struggles, and there are other people out there feeling the exact same thing. Loneliness is not easy. Struggling is not easy. But there is always room for growth. So look for that growth. Seek it out, because you deserve to flourish. That's going to wrap it up for today's episode. 
thank you for listening, and another huge thank you to Dr. Jen Hartman for joining me in bringing some incredible information and perspective to this topic. She'll be joining me next week as well as we delve into the topic of therapy. Please shoot me a message on my Instagram at jewelboy underscore and let me know what you thought about today's episode. Also, if you need help feeling your feelings, check out my music, Ethan Jewel, on all platforms, and I almost guarantee it'll make you cry. So thank you so much for being here. And as always, thank you for feeling your feelings. I'll see you next time.